Monday night, May 6th at the Hyatt Regency in San Francisco. You're invited to join athletes and celebs at the Bay Area Sports Hall of Fame Enshrinement Dinner. Be there to celebrate this year's class featuring Olympic swimmer Jenny Thompson, San Jose Earthquakes legend Chris Wondolowski, Niners Super Bowl hero John Taylor, Sharks icon Patrick Marlowe, and the architect of the Giants dynasty, Brian Sabian. Be a part of this star-studded evening benefiting Special Olympics Northern California. To purchase tickets, visit Bayshoff.org. That's B-A-S-H-O-F.org. We're getting you ready for the game on The Build-Up with news from around the league, interviews, highlights, and more. Here's your host, Ted Ramey. You know, I like how we bounce back, you know. They, we, you know, I thought that was the first crack in our D-zone structure for a while. I didn't think our D-zone structure was great that night. I uh, loved our third period. You know, I really thought we played at a tempo and with pace. Um, you know, they're a dangerous team offensively, that's for sure. And I mean... You know, we're 28 games into this, and it's crystal clear why we have the record we have. It's just turnovers, and as I touched on this yesterday, and, you know, we've got to alter the way we think from an offensive perspective. Every situation when a puck is on your stick doesn't mean it's an offensive opportunity, whether it's in the neutral zone or the offensive zone. you got to be way more calculated in when to try to make a play and when not, and we talked about that. And, you know, what's more important? Your stat line of winning hockey games at the end of the day. That's what it comes down to. Head coach David Quinn bringing us in on a Wednesday afternoon as we get ready for Sharks hockey, hosting the Vancouver Canucks tonight. And the uh, Sharks are dealing with a, uh, well, with some issues. Matt Nieto has gone to the IR. He's dealing with an injury. We're also looking like uh, Nico Sturm is going to be back. Svechnikov was waived, but it looks like he is going to play for the Sharks tonight. Gregor is not in the lineup, however, I'm looking at the tweets from Curtis Pashelka that came out a little bit earlier today. But there is actually a feeling about the, you know, the injuries and the illnesses and everything going on with the Sharks where you kind of like the idea of like, hey, it's them against the world. Let's see what they can do and let's see what sort of a performance we do get tonight from the Sharks. They have not been home for a bit. The last home game was on the 27th, actually. They need this home cooking. They've had a little bit of rest, and I'm intrigued to see what exactly they do bring to the table and hope that they uh, do get a good performance. Vancouver has been better as of late. They've won 7 out of 10. They're still not uh, living up to expectations. And to talk about all of that, we are now joined on the Sharks Audio Network by Harmon Dial of The Athletic. What's going on, Harmon? How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. How are you? I'm doing very well, man. Just uh, excited for what I think is going to be an entertaining game tonight between the uh, the Sharks and the Canucks. And I just, you know, looking at the big picture of everything you've seen this year, you know, are, are things finally starting to be kind of in conjunction with where you expected Vancouver would be? Not really, to be totally honest. I think even, team... even with seven out of ten. Yeah, it's. The the issue is the process hasn't necessarily been there. I think the results have started, um, have obviously started uh, uh, coming, but you look at the team's defensive form and I think the way that they're winning games, uh, there's a recognition that it's not necessarily um, uh, sustainable where mm -hmm. uh, the club's still leaking a lot of goals against. And you look at, for example, the wins over uh, Montreal and in Arizona, the, the Montreal one required them coming back from a 4-0 deficit. Uh, and the Arizona one, they were actually outplayed for most of uh, the game until they really kind of turned it on in the third period. So I don't think the team is totally 
happy with the way that they're playing, despite the fact that they've gotten the results. The good news, obviously, is, of course, when you get the results, you're you're still able to stay in the hunt in terms of chasing for a playoff spot. So that's essential. They needed to pick up wins, and, and that sort of keeps them alive and gives them life. But beyond that, I, I think there's a recognition that uh, the hockey club needs to play tighter, uh, more structured defensive hockey if they uh, if they want to get back into the playoff picture here. Yeah, I was uh, what about a week and a half ago talking to Brendan Batchelor about that, their radio announcer, and you know I guess that's just been the the bugaboo for the team. But with that being said, like is does the defensive issue does it seem like there are steps being taken to rectify, or is it more like? Uh, just overall, they're winning in spite of the issues of the blue line. I think they are winning in spite of the issues. And it's not necessarily just the blue line when you talk about the defensive issues. A lot of it hinges on the forwards as well. And I think this club has a lot of really gifted, electric, dynamic forwards. And that's why they score and produce so much offensively. But they don't necessarily help out the defensemen a lot in terms of their back checking, their defensive zone switches, uh, how they pick up assignments in the D zone. Um, playing sort of reloading in a way where the defensemen can trust um, their ability to play tight gaps in the neutral zone. It's sort of uh, an issue that stems as a five-man unit as opposed to just the defensemen. Uh, I do think when it comes to the penalty kill, for example, that compared to October, the, re- the results are starting to improve and you're seeing them uh, defend crossing passes a lot better. That was an issue where the, the Canucks would just give their goaltenders no chance by consistently surrendering these these uh, cross slot passes, which I think they've done a better job of uh, of limiting recently, especially with uh, w- I think they found something with Elias Patterson and Bo Horvat as their top uh, penalty kill forward duo. But at five on five, the issues are still persisting, especially because now the clubs without Thatcher Demko, uh, so there's uncertainty in goal as well. In terms of the team being two points out of a playoff spot despite the troubles. Is that encouraging or is it being looked at right now as just overall a missed opportunity? Because I know Bruce Boudreaux, his big commentary entering the season was, you know, if we miss the playoffs, it's a disaster. And and I'm paraphrasing, but I mean, that was the implication he made. It's more of a silver lining, I think, is the fact that you're still in it because I don't think anybody in the organization is pleased whether it's management coaches or players with the way that they um have um have played so far on the season in in, in as a whole especially because the last couple of years the sort of team got off to slow starts as well and so coming into this year there was a lot of talk about well there's no excuses this time we've got to get rolling right from the get-go and they ended up on the first road trip obviously losing um all all five of their first first games so uh, since then, they've obviously recovered. They've been playing better hockey, and I think that uh, has, again, allowed them to kind of stay in the hunt for a, a playoff race. And I, I think the benefit there is that nobody's given up. Nobody looks at looks at uh, uh, this as um, a situation that can't be salvaged. Everybody still believes that they can turn it around and um, and get back in the playoff mix. But obviously, in terms of the actual performance to date, I don't think anybody's actually pleased. Were expectations too high, though, given how well the team finished last year after the change in head coach was made, or was it appropriate to have those expectations? I think I think it was appropriate to expect them to be, to be a bubble team. I kind of viewed them as a coin flip to make the playoffs, and I think that's uh, 
what a lot of people on the outside sort of viewed it as. I think from an organizational standpoint, the expectation wasn't was anything short of making the playoffs would have been um, a significant letdown. So honestly, given the investments they made in the offseason, um, in in adding with Ilya Mikheyev, adding Carlos Lazar, uh, and sort of committing to this forward group instead of re- rebuilding, I think management was definitely committed to trying to um, find short-term success. I think the problem is they didn't find a way to improve the back end and their defense, therefore, um, hasn't been stable enough. So the way I'd kind of put it is, the organization's expectations were maybe a little bit higher than uh, they should have been, but um, I don't think that, um, uh, let me put it this way. I think everybody expected them to at least be competitive and in the race and uh, be right there as a bubble playoff team. So what do you think the main difference is though from last year or was last year just because everyone went with the Bruce Boudreaux effect and it was, it's very catchy. It's an easy thing to glom on to, but was that, was that version overachieving or is there is there something else at play that you're seeing? I think that version was definitely overachieving because um, to hear even general manager Patrick Alvin say it, uh, he mentioned that from December onward, he felt that Thatcher Demko was the best goaltender in the NHL. Um, he felt that uh, they were too reliant on him. They felt that the uh, club's results at that time were too reliant on uh on their special teams being extraordinary and that they, that he wasn't necessarily pleased with their five and five game. And he even referenced mm-hmm. the fact that he thought that um, teams started to uh, take Vancouver a little bit lightly. Um, they obviously saw a lot of backup goalies in that second half as well. So um, I do think they overachieved in that stretch, but I also think it's fair to say that so far they've underachieved, um, especially with goaltending being uh, a big difference where Thatcher Demko of course, was able to bail them out and win them a lot of games where they otherwise probably didn't deserve to win. Whereas this season before his injury, he was really struggling. And this was a guy that a lot of people expected to be on the fringes of the Vesna trophy race. But uh, instead, he, he was a, a pretty big letdown. And it led to, for instance, Spencer Martin, the backup, getting uh, more starts than I think a lot of people expected. So goaltending's been a bit, bit a big difference compared to mm-hmm. last season. I think the penalty kill, uh, despite it trending better lately, um, was off to a really horrific start in October. Uh, and um, just the overall stability in terms of how they're controlling five on five play. And um, that uh, e- even looking at Oliver Ekman Larson and Tyler Myers, they were really, really good last season. And, they uh, haven't been as uh, stable from a two-way perspective. So I think those are some of the factors that uh, that have contributed to the club sort of underachieving so far. When you look at the division right now, um, I think there's a lot of unexpected teams at the top of the division. I, did, I thought Vegas had a high ceiling, and the thing is they have played to that ceiling. They're in first, Seattle in second. L.A. is the only team where they were a year ago. What are you expecting to happen in terms of corrections for the highly touted Oilers and Flames versus what we'll maybe see in terms of a correction for Vegas and Seattle and how that affects Vancouver's chances? Because I don't, like, this is the thing, Harmon. Like, I don't know which way the correction continues to carry Vancouver because 7 out of 10, that's more in line with my expectations. And it's been like, okay, they're starting to get back more to where I expected them to be. But, you know, I, 
I often joke about this. Like I'm good about being wrong. Like I didn't have Seattle and Vegas at the top. I had Vancouver battling with LA and the fact that Edmonton and Calgary in fourth or fifth right now, I'm like, well, cl- clearly I know nothing. Well, especially in the, I, I mean, I'm right there with you and sort of not expecting this at all in terms of how the Pacific division standings have uh, shaken out so far. I think right off the bat, with the way Jack Eichel and Mark Stone have been playing to the absolute peak of their ceiling. Um, I think the, and especially Logan Thompson providing stability in net and him kind of being the real deal. I, I still think Vegas is legit. I think they're going to finish one or two uh, in the Pacific Seattle. I'm not quite sold on yet just mm-hmm. because I still don't have a ton of faith in their goaltending, despite how, um, how well Martin Jones has, has played overall yeah. this season. Um, and also they're riding a pretty hot shooting percentage um, as a, as a scoring unit, which they they're obviously a deep offensive attack, but I also don't know, you know, I also don't believe in them as an offensive juggernaut yet. So I think Seattle's a team that's at risk of potentially starting to uh, slip, which I mean, we've seen it in years past, right? Uh, last year, Anaheim was first in the Pacific by January and we saw, by the end of the season, they weren't uh, they weren't even really close to a playoff spot. I'm not saying that that's necessarily going to happen to Seattle, but there's uh, there's a lot of hockey left to be played, and I'm not as confident in their um, chances. And when it comes to the Alberta teams, um, Calgary, I think I have a lot more faith in in terms of being able to um, to get back into the playoff picture. I just think that uh, they're. I really like the the bones of the team that they kind of ha- kind of have, where you have three strong centers down the middle with uh, Lindholm, Kadri, and Backlund, guys who can contribute not only offensively but who are stalwarts defensively. I think Huberto is going to turn it around, and he has the ability to be a, an elite winger. And then they also have one of the best top fours in the NHL when you look at their uh, their back end, and um, also between the pipes, Jacob Markstrom was a Vesna finalist last year you'd have to believe that he's going to turn it around. And once Calgary gets more saves, I think that alone will make a huge difference because you look at a lot of their their underlying numbers at five and five. And Calgary's been one of the league's better teams at mm-hmm. uh, controlling shots, controlling scoring chances. So that to me looks like uh, a, pr- a strong process. And I always bet on strong process eventually winning out. Whereas with Edmonton, I still think that they're going to make the playoffs just because you have Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl as uh, the two best players in the world. But there is, I think, more of a risk factor because with the injuries to Kane, with um, the with uh, Yamamoto and Pujarvi not uh, not living up to expectation, they're kind of back to what they were pre Jay Woodcroft, where they they only really have four forwards that they can consistently rely on to score in McDavid, Drysaddle, Nugent Hopkins, and Hyman. Mm-hmm. Um, their blue line, I think, hasn't played up to expectation. And just overall as a defensive unit, they've been a lot more per- permissive. And of course, Jack Campbell hasn't uh, hasn't uh, you know been the answer in goal. So I think there are more question marks with Edmonton, even though I think they've still got uh, a, a good shot of making the playoffs. What do you make of this game we're getting ready for tonight? You know, it was pretty entertaining the last time these two teams faced each other, went to overtime, and actually, I I don't know what exactly happened to the Sharks' overtime unit in that game for three-on-three because they were disorganized. They got caught out on two bad changes, and Vancouver um, wisely took advantage. Uh, But I thought it was a pretty compelling game. Like, I I was very much entertained. It absolutely absolutely was a bit of a, a back and forth, some uh, some drama for sure. And it was um, it, it was a time where 
I think we really saw some of the best of um, Andre Kuzmenko, who's been um, a revelation for the Canucks, one of the bright spots coming over from Russia. He obviously scored the overtime winner, and it's going to be really interesting because since then the Canucks have made um, some changes in terms of their line combinations, and there's some um, there's some sort of level of uh, intrigue surrounding that where Brock Besser now is on that uh, is on that line with Patterson and Mikheyev instead of Kuzmenko, where I think that uh, that Pedersen line was absolutely just with, with Kuzmenko and Mikheyev at the time dominating the Sharks. And it felt like that was the only line that uh, really gave them any juice for that third period comeback. Um, whereas now the the makeup of the top nine is a little bit different, uh, where I think the Canucks want to uh, to help jumpstart Brock Besser. So they've elevated him in that role and they've kind of um, sent uh, sent Kuzmenko down to the third line to, to balance the top nine a little bit uh, more. So it's going to be interesting to see how uh, how those changes in the forward line combinations uh, affect the matchup because when the when the Canucks last played the Sharks I, I think they were a little bit too reliant on that uh, Patterson line to generate offense and I think they're uh, trying a little bit uh, of a different formula to see if they can be a little bit more balanced. What is your take on where the Sharks are right now? Because they, you know, my my kind of view of them is that they have not exactly been getting skated off the ice and they're not the worst team I've ever seen but you know they've obviously not been winning games and you know we've heard a lot of chatter about you know guys being available and other um, you know teams looking at them and thinking about making trades I don't think we're quite there yet but it is trending in that direction um, you know probably when we get into the new year we might see a move being made but you know just your you know your, your outsider's perspective on what you're seeing with the Sharks and knowing that you know their new GM Mike Greer said that they might have to take a step back before they can take a step forward I really agree with uh, Greer's perspe- perspective I think this is kind of a a rebuild situation where it's it's clear to me anyway especially based off the rest of the kind of state of the Pacific Division that there's kind of a lot of work to be done in terms of um, building that uh, next core group of players. I think despite the record, the Sharks, especially when you look at the last game against Vancouver, for example, uh, they have been a, t- a tougher out than maybe the record would uh, would indicate. And they've um, obviously had some excellent performances from, you know, Eric Carlson putting on a, a vintage performance. Mm-hmm. And it, it's it was honestly mind-blowing seeing the way that, uh, uh, you know, he was the best defenseman on the ice. Uh, of of either team and um, the way that he was able to control the play in the offensive zone, the dynamic uh, skill, and even the, even the confidence and the boldness with some of the with some of the plays that uh, he was uh, he was trying. I think it gives that uh, that blue line group a, a little bit of a, a a much needed spark, and it gives them an X factor that uh, you can't take uh, you can't take the night off against San Jose and just expect that it's going to be an easy win. Because before you know it, it might be someone like an Eric Carlson or Timo Meyer or or a Hurdle or a Couture or or one of those main uh, main veteran forwards kind of leading the way and um, uh, or veteran players I should say leading the way and kind of uh, putting some offense up. So um, I think standings wise, this is probably about where I expected them to be. I'm just kind of intrigued now to see um, what happens in terms of um, further down the line with the futures of the likes of Carlson and, and the likes of Meyer and, and whether we see some uh, trade activity. Harmon, I know it's a busy day for you, so I will let you go, but I appreciate your time. Keep up the great work and I'll bug you again soon. All right, man. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Again, that was Harmon Dial of The Athletic joining us here on the Sharks Audio Network as we get ready for tonight's game against Vancouver. One thing that I am looking forward to 
is Capo Kakinen getting back out there on the ice for the Sharks. Obviously, his last performance was not the best, and I'm always encouraged and intrigued to see guys bounce back, and I think that Capo has done that previously this year, and I want to see pretty much what he brings to the ice in this game and where his head is at and if he's able to uh, you know, able to shrug off previous performances. I mean, that's what I'm going to be looking for. So we'll get to see a lot of that later tonight. We are just about out of time. Join us at 7 o'clock for live pregame coverage right here on the Sharks Audio Network as they get ready to take on the Canucks. For the San Jose Sharks, I'm Ted Ramey signing off. This podcast can be found for download under Sharks Hockey Digest on iTunes, Google, and Spotify. And on demand anytime on the Sharks Plus SAP Center app presented by Western Digital. All music by Yogi Yend.